Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Episode 64 of the Sexplanations podcast. I am speaking with Seth, who is in Japan teaching music there. Uh, 6 a.m. your time. It's for my time. Yeah. And I want to talk with you about less harmful language because on the Sexplanations YouTube channel, I... I did this video about the various words that we could change in our day-to-day speech that would actually sex educate people and make the world more sex positive. And then you on your channel, sex, sex, (laughs) (laughs) that slip, Seth thinks thoughts did a very similar video with all of these really cool additional words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how you're so cool. I thank you. Oh, I'm flattered. Um, I I was just really um taken with that video and I thought to myself, you know, there's there are words that are so harmful um in everyone's speech. And you know, I'm a teacher, and so I thought I'd focus it on like when you work with students, young kids, the words you use are gonna really matter. And so when I saw that you were doing a video where you were addressing like these other options that people could have, I was like, hey, I could do that. Yeah, and you did, they're so great. Okay, so I'm gonna look at uh, the video that I did and see here what the words were that I corrected. So we have both. Yes. Because it's it's very monogamous, right? So there, even the word couple is very monogamous. Mm-hmm. And it ostracizes... Uh, non-monogamous partnerships. Yep. Because when you say, oh, yeah, make sure that both parties are informed or both parties wash your hands or both people get tested for STIs, we exclude dynamics where maybe it's an individual or maybe it's um, more than two people. So um, then I have neither, either, all, and every as replacements. Or no, I say, and I avoid adjectives like both and neither and either and use adjectives like many all and every yes and then what was another one just talking about the differences between sex and gender oh that's a big and, one. Oh, the pronouns they them and their and just saying how that is thought to be grammatically incorrect but it's actually not and it's been around grammatically for a really long time as a, an accepted single person pronoun and then, oh, and then I went into don't be a dick and how using words about our bodies or our genders to put people down ends up connecting sexuality to negativity. Yeah. And I remember, I think that was my favorite part of the video is you said, this one's really hard for me because I really like swearing. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, at least she's being honest about that because you know, I distinctly remember you doing that and then huffing. It was a that was a nice part of that video. Oh, well, you do that in your video too. I think at the beginning you say these are suggestions and that you struggle with them yourself. Yes, I um I still use and I probably will forever use harmful language just without thinking about it because that's just part of being a person. I don't think mm. that either one of us ever expected anyone to be uh, right on the ball 100% of the time, because that's an unrealistic expectation. It's Mm -hmm. more a question of, are you making a conscious effort to try and improve in general across the board? That doesn't mean that I'm sure you still swear 
in a way that mentions body parts. <laughs> and I mean, I know that sometimes like I'll say things and I'm like, oh, I'm trying not to say that anymore. But if you, I think if you beat yourself up too much over it, then you're just going to start hating the process instead of liking it. So do you have words right now where you backtrack on yourself or it kind of makes talking slower because you're trying to avoid them? Yeah. Um, one of the words I mentioned in my video was saying parents and mm -hmm. how parents can um, just, you know, not every kid has parents. Some kids mm -hmm. live with their aunt or their uncle or their grandparent or a foster parent. And so I, in my video, I said that guardians was the, I remember distinctly saying guardians was the only way to go. And then like, like a year later, I was like, oh, I could use the word families. So now I'm trying to use the word families, you know, when I talk to kids about it, like, you know, if we're doing dismissal at the end of the day, I'll be like, let you know, let me know when you see your family. But sometimes I still say, um, parents, and sometimes I still even say mom and dad, which are not always the most, um, they're not inclusive. And, and I think, um, I think I still use them because when I went to school as an elementary student, it really was everyone had a mom and a dad and I had one. And so right now I'm really trying to work on saying families or guardians, or I even say grownups, just anything other oh. than, than assuming mom and dad. That's what I don't want to do. Yeah, I was really impacted by that addition in your list. I, as you may know, have had a lot of foster children, and I, I know that that impacts them to hear something like parent be said. Even though they identify me as their parent, it's still, it's not the same. And even before me, a lot of them were in group homes, and so that's not uh, a parent for them and, and maybe not even a family. So I think that guardians is, is great, but it feels really clinical. So I like what you said about grownups or adults, um, or I'll say like your people, um, just trying to, to broaden the, the dynamics of relationships again. The, um, one, one of my friends watched the video I made and she said to me, you know, Seth, I really like that video because her, she never knew her dad and her mom had just died. She was, it was sophomore year of high school and her mom had just died over the like, end of the last school year and now it's sophomore year. And her Spanish teacher, just without thinking about it, asked the kids, they were doing um, you know, body part descriptor words and things like that. And so the project was, she said, all right, everyone, draw your mom and label all the body parts in Spanish. And then she just sat there and started sobbing because that Spanish teacher just you know, didn't think to say, you know, draw me a family member. They said, mm -hmm. draw me a mom, and then that shut her down. Um, and, you know, when we use words like that, that are, have that impact on kids, it just shuts them down from learning for the rest of the day. Once that oh, word has been said, totally. it's over. Yeah, I have seen that happen repeatedly. And the, my kiddos, the, so they'll go into a French class and part of the assignment is to draw a family tree and use all the French terms. And so they'll, like you said, they'll shut down and say, okay, next year I'm going to do Spanish. And the same exercise comes up and they shut down. And, and then we've got a week at home trying to recover from that trauma of recalling that they're not with their families or those people aren't close to them. And so, yeah, let's get the message out to, to language educators to say, hey, can we come up with something else? And I think an, a creative option might be have the kids make up a family tree or 
have the kids map out the the Baldwin brothers family tree or something other than, you know, making them do their own family tree because that might be a traumatic experience. And also just from a language teacher point of view, you're just trying to get them to understand these six language words. Do you really want to also have to teach them foster parent, foster sibling? Like Mm -hmm. it's hard enough to learn another language without having to learn you know, 40 other specified terms for everyone's unique family situation. I wish they would just have like a generic one that you could fill in or something. That's such a great idea. I love that you're in the solution. Yeah, just something other than draw your family tree or draw your mom or, or mm-hmm. you know, write a story about your dad. You know, you got you to gotta keep that a little bit more open-ended. So... In your video, by the way, something else that you did at that moment when you were talking about parents versus guardians was to give all of these different examples of students who might be in the classroom and their home life. And for each of them, you used their name and you you didn't go with like the Bobby and the Susie. You used names from so many different cultures. Do you remember this? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, yes. You, it's, uh, you know, there was that famous um, primer reader series, uh, Dick and Jane from the 50s and 60s. Yes, I and, grew up on that. And, and um, I, I think that's about um, as creative as people got with naming characters and things for a long time. Now I think if you go into a really good library, you're going to have um, books with characters with different names. One of the books that I was just reading with the kids um, is set in Nigeria. And so it's got all these great Yoruba names and the little girl's name is Ayoka. And yeah, no, I, oh my God, no, I, I, I think having Michael and Sally in every, everything would just be so boring. Because also there's barely any Michael and Sally's in schools anymore. And there's lots of uh, Kanishas and uh, lots of people with Chinese names and lots of people with uh, uh, Hispanic names. So yeah, it's, I just, yeah, people who still, if you on the fly can only produce boring white people names from the 50s, you really need to get out more. I, well, so I need to get out more. And I, because when I, when you did that in your video, I realized, wow, I only use the names that I hear because those are the ones I know how to pronounce. And so actually in a recent episode of Sexplanation's YouTube channel, I'm talking about this partnership between two men. So I I made sure to have some diversity in sexual orientation and not have it just be heterosexual. And then I was like, ah, I want to be like Seth and I want to use a non-white name. And so I went with Samir because I I know how to say Samir. Fantastic. Um, That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Well, thank you. But still, you totally set such an amazing aspiration for me because every single one of your names was seemed like it was from a different place and you said them as if they were a close friend of yours and you, like the pronunciation was no problem and so I want to get to that point I guess is what I'm saying I aspire to be like you no oh well thank you oh stop um, <laughs> <laughs> um I think that um I was reading a book uh called Americana by Chimamanda Adichie and I, I fell in love with the book. And so I think I used one or two character names from that book in my video. Or, or I think that that book made me look up 
Igbo Nigerian names, and I and I looked one up offline. But you know, um, reading literature I think is a really great way to get a more diverse collection of names. And so reading that book really helped. Although to be fair, um, when I was reading the book, I, I don't know if I was actually pronouncing the names correctly. So like. <laughs> Who can know if I butchered every single one of their names? I only ever saw it written down. There aren't that many Nigerians in, in New Hampshire, surprisingly. So No? No. Well, hopefully they're listening to this, and they'll go to your video on Seth, Seth Thinks Thoughts. <laughs> and they'll uh, listen to the pronunciation and tell you whether or not it's correct. Or just support you for being inclusive. I think that's so cool. Thank you. Yeah, that, I wouldn't mind being corrected on that. And then I would just delete the comments so no one would know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, for me at least, when I get comments like that, I try to pin them up to the top so that people actually have the correct information because I, I don't want to be putting out there the wrong thing. And so if, if somebody can educate on top of my shoulders, that's even better. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah, here in Montana, we don't have a ton of diversity of names, although within the last year or two, the city took on a project called, oh goodness, Soft Landing. And I think it welcomed 100 refugee families here. So there is a ton more diversity than there ever was before. Like before I would see a person of a dark, rich color and it was like, whoa, like, wow, there, we have a black person here in Montana. And it's like, it, it's uh, my reaction to it felt kind of gross and um, like voyeuristic, but only because it's so homogenous, like very, very white. Um, there is a, a large Native American contingent, but beyond that, not a lot of color. And so um, now with all of the refugees here, there's so much more diversity, but Still, um, very little communication between me and them to say, "Ooh, I want to include your names and videos. And so you're uh, inspiring me to do that. I feel motivated to be a better person. Thanks to you, Seth. Well, I mean, your entire YouTube channel has inspired me in dozens of ways. But let's we we could spend an hour complimenting (laughs) each other because we're both so fantastic. Yes, that's true. Is there something on the Sexplanations YouTube channel or even in the podcast where I have said something harmful that I could correct now that maybe you can call me out on? Ooh. Uh, I'd have to go back and watch it because as I was watching, as I, I mean, there was about a two and a half to three year period where I was watching every video the minute it was coming out. And Whoa. Because I, I had such poor and little sex education that I really didn't know anything. And so I think if I were to go back, I think now having spent a few years trying to become more intersectionally feminist, I guess, I think now I would be able to go back and maybe point things out. But at the time I was just learning so much and getting so much information that I needed. I didn't even have time to look at it with a critical eye because you were just telling me all this shit that no one had ever told me before. And I was, <laughs> and I was so focused on that at the time. So I will go rewatch some of my favorite videos and maybe send you an email about it because okay. I, yeah, no, I mean, your videos were just so innovative and um, sex positive 
that I think I was so focused on that I didn't even have time to apply a, a retroactive critical lens to it. All right. Well, if you come up with one, if there are any resentments that I can resolve, I would, I would love to make amends for them. Because like you said at the beginning, we're not saying that that it's possible to remove all harmful language from our vocabulary. We're just, we're trying to do better. Yeah. yeah I was reading in an educational text and it was talking about management. And the thing it said was, um, we don't expect teachers to have perfect management 100% of the time. And the question is just to get the percentage as high as you can get it. And I think that's a sort of a nice sentiment to aim towards. Like, if your classroom management is solid 80% of the time and 20% of the time you're a grumpy Gus and you're very short-tempered, you know what? You're doing fine. That's 80% of the time that you're being really proactive and positive about things. I, I, I sometimes wonder, or I sometimes worry about, I think when people are trying to be sort of a, a person for good or for change in the world, I always find that there's people who will nitpick their contribution to goodness by pointing out, you know, a hypocrisy or a contradiction to something they said before or something. And, you know, none of us are ever going to be perfectly intersectionally feminist. And, mm. and I think that, I think it, it would be helpful sometimes to just give people a break. Like, I remember one time Rose McGowan, who was one of the actors who led the celebrity Me Too movement, she said something and it was, it was, you know, a little cis-centric and I don't know if it would constitute transphobic. You'd have to ask someone who has a better understanding of these things. But, you know, she just got absolutely raked in, in Twitter for this, for this thing that she, she didn't include um, non-cis women in her, in, her, in, her, in her comment or her conversation. And I was just thinking to myself, I was like, that's a woman who just capsized her career to take down a bunch of powerful Hollywood moguls. Could we give mm -hmm. her just like like one tweet off from having to be perfectly intersectionally feminist? And then I also have to remember that like I'm a I'm a white guy, so I also need to be aware that maybe I'm asking for a break when one really isn't appropriate. But I, I just I think that if you're trying to think about less harmful language, you have to give people room to not always be perfect because if you hold them to an expectation of perfection they're just not going to try and engage with it at all and that's the worst possible scenario mm, yeah so that's that's i've just i've been thinking a lot about that and then i also remember like meryl streep when she stood up to she was winning her lifetime achievement award and she chose to use it to upbraid and lambast uh donald trump you know in that video she did say you know, that he mocked a disabled reporter. And a lot of people were so mad at her for not knowing the reporter's name or for describing him, you know, as a, as a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist or something. But instead mm -hmm. she said, disabled journalist. And you know what? I thought to myself, yes, in that moment, she did use the wrong word. You're absolutely right. But that woman also used a Lifetime Achievement Award as a chance to criticize a, a figure that she considered to be harmful in the world. And... You know, it's this weird thing of like, you're right, she did use the wrong word and she was doing the right thing. And I think that I think that there's sometimes this thing that if you use the wrong words, you're not use doing the right thing. But I yeah. but she I mean, that kind of proves that you can use the wrong word, use the wrong option, use the wrong choice. But you're doing the right thing. And I, I'm really passionate about giving people chances to 
to mess up and do it again because I mess up a lot at this. And if someone, you know, nailed me to the wall, not like that, um, every time I did something wrong, I would feel totally disenfranchised from wanting to even try. Oh, so. that was a beautiful speech. Thank you. Thank you. I also do bar mitzvahs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Because it's so much permission, right? Because, oh gosh, uh, Sex Nations episode takes anywhere from half an hour to two hours. Some, I've done episodes in four hours sometimes trying to get it right. And that's with a script that's written in advance so that I can be so careful with my words and have them peer-reviewed. And even then, I mess up all the time. And it would be awful if I felt at any point that my deficiency in perfection was enough of an inhibitor to not do it at all. Yes. Yeah. That's... Oh, gosh. That'd be awful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so let's go back to your really clever language uh, reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Another one that you said was guys. Yeah. I, I hate this so much. <laughs> this is... Really? I hate... I hate it, and I hate it for several reasons. Um, one is because not everyone is a guy, like I said in the video, and saying guys to a large group of people is, is very, is kind of the epitome of presuming male to be the default in a social situation. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's just not a nice word. Guys, guys, nothing about that is pleasant to the ear. You've got a, a, a nasally vowel in the middle. It's, oh, it's no, just for you. Uh, That's for you. Guys, where are you from? I'm I'm from New Hampshire, where they say it a lot. It's just oh, they do. Oh my God! Every every you guys, you guys, you guys. It's just the most. I can't stand it. <laughs> and it, it's just it's a very un, it's a very annoying word. So I, I guess I need to parse out my <laughs> my linguistic problems with it with my content problem with it. My content problem with it is. Not everyone is a guy, and there are hundreds of words that are non-gender specific. And I right. just think using guys is kind of setting male to be the presumed default, that you know mm-hmm. we start with male and then everything else is like a derivative of that. It's not. Everything is its own thing. You know, we don't derive our concepts of gender from men. We derive our concepts of gender from people who have gender. So yeah, I, 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 have, I think I have successfully um, eradicated guys from my vocabulary. I think I have as well, because of you. Oh, thank you. Um, I say y'all a lot, because um, my grandfather was very rural New Hampshire, and so he said y'all and howdy. Um, and so when he passed away, I started saying y'all and howdy to remember him. So um, I say y'all and I say folks a lot. I think folks is a fun word to say. Um, those are my usual two go-tos. So I, I want to go back to guides for a second because in your video, you said two really profound things about it. One is that when we stop using it, it takes the pressure off of men and boys to be the standard. And also it makes room for other genders to hold that space, to take up space. So that that was a very powerful message. I, I think I may have started um, removing guys from what I say before your video, but your video really solidified it, it in me of like, all right, 
Seth is watching. <laughs> I need to g- get my mouth in gear. And so I will actually, um, depending on the size of the group, often count the number of people. So I'll say, oh, so the three of you, what are you doing later? Or like half of you are going to do what? And the other half are going to do what? Like I'll, it'll be very numerical. Oh, cool. Um, sometimes... Yes, cool. And it's it's an extra step, but it's worth it. Um, I will use, so what is everyone doing? And I, I will refer to the whole, the, the audience as everyone. Um, yeah, friends. Folks is one that I, I don't go after. And y'all, because where I grew up in the Midwest, saying those things was often associated with making fun of the South. Oh, really? Okay. And so to me, it it has a cutting aspect to it. So as it softens, I use it or with communities who really prefer to be spoken to with those words, then I will use it. But otherwise, I try to be really careful. And And I will use guys, but I will use guys when I am talking to an all-male yes. group. I have to tell you, the movie that made me think about this, and I don't know if you would have watched this, it was a Disney Channel original movie called um <laughs> it called eddie's million dollar bake-off and it's about no no i definitely have okay. not seen this if you're if your listeners have watched this video they'll know exactly what i'm talking about because it's a phenomenal disney channel original movie um and in this one of the things that happens is, is on this baseball team there's a girl and the coaches keep saying you're definitely one of the guys you're totally one of the guys to this girl in what i understand is an attempt to like include her in the community but the whole mm-hmm. video is about the whole movie is about subverting gender expectations it's a really great video and uh at one point, the kids are like standing up and like kind of telling the coaches off for how they've been treating them a little bit. And the girl stands up and she says, why do I have to be one of the guys? Why can't I just be the girl on the team? And I remember watching that. I was in high school and I was like, whoa, that's a really good point. And I think that was like the first time that I started thinking about lumping a big, like a big blob of gender together. I was, it was mm. that, I just distinctly remember that scene from... Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say uh, the names of Disney Channel products on your podcast, but um, Eddie's... I think you can. Okay. Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off or Eddie's Million Dollar Bake-Off was this baseball cooking movie. And um, and then at the end, also, one of the other team people stands up and said, my dad's a nurse, and you've made fun of male nurses like three times. And it was just this really great, like, I am Spartacus moment of all these kids standing up and telling the coaches that they're done with their crap. And I just... <laughs> distinctly remember that moment of the girl standing up and saying, why do I have to be one of the guys? Why can't I just be the girl on the team? And I was like, that's awesome. That is awesome. What is the date on this magic? Um, I, I want to say it came out when I was in high school. So like 08, 07, 09, something around there. Mm. Yeah. Disney Channel original movies. They were great. I miss those a lot. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. How's that for Disney being a little woke intersectional feminist just for a hot second but they they did (laughs) yeah that's awesome um okay on that topic you also brought up young lady right yes i i would like to ask you a question yes please um i guess my question is how did did you ever feel like lady or young lady or ladyhood was used to police your behavior growing up 
because I've seen it happen to people and I don't, I've never experienced it obviously. So I was wondering if, if like someone ever, you know, told you to act like a lady or used ladyhood to kind of police you into a behavior. Oh gosh. The only time I can think of lady in my childhood is this um, game where it's like a little childhood thing where I would sit on someone's lap and if, if um, like the person, I, this is me, small child, there's an adult lap and I'm straddling it facing them. It's like, this is how the gentleman rides, the gentleman rides, the gentleman rides. And then they'd bounce me up and down. And then they would put me off to the side so that both of my legs were together on the side of the body and not straddling the, the imaginary horse. And then they would say, this is how the lady rides, the lady rides, the lady rides sending the message that like you don't straddle the horse you it's not about your safety or about controlling an animal or negotiating with an animal it's not about it, it's about you like keep those legs closed and then the the way that it ends is that the child is turned all the way around so that the back is to the adult's face and then um something rides like a, a clown or a something and then you're like bouncing up and down and then they throw you off oh okay we did um yeah. we did the trot trot to Boston trot trot to Lynn trot trot be careful and don't fall in and then you'd open your legs and the kid would drop down in between them. Oh, yes. it's such a hoot! It's yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. I I I put young lady in that video because I've had like dozens of really long, especially in college when you're drunk at one in the morning and you're walking around. I've had like some really nice long conversations with people about how they've been kind of policed into a gendered expectation. And so when I made that young lady part of the video, I was thinking about my friends telling me like, oh my God, if my legs were even, you know, slightly apart, or if I got angry, I was told my grandmother would tell me it wasn't very ladylike. And so I had never known that. So that's why I wanted to ask you about it. Cause it was, it was, um, I'm losing my train of thought. That's a very uh, powerful word that can really police someone's behavior. Oh, absolutely. And just because I haven't experienced it or at least don't remember it doesn't mean it's not happening. It's definitely happening. I I have heard people do it to other people. Uh oh yeah, for sure. That's a that's a scary one. That's like a yeah. there's there's that's a and that's another one that can gut someone for the rest of the day. If they hear that word and they get policed back, they'll just shut down and follow the rules or kind of, you know, withdraw into themselves. Uh, for the so rest what's of the, the alternative? Day. You know, being polite and having etiquette is not a gendered thing. <laughs> like, yeah. just, well, first of all, I think you have to be very critical of yourself and remember that you're going to initially dislike women who are loud. I think it's very important to be like, oh, she's a very, like, I have students and like some of them are very loud, outgoing, boisterous, outspoken uh, girls and they'll and I need to remember that my impulse from how I grew up is to not like that so I know that I need to check in my with myself and be like oh she's that's who she is and that's fine and I'm the one who's got the thing to think through mm. and then the, I think the other thing is you know actually write down what you think is polite behavior and then hold everyone to that regardless of um, their gender or their age you know, whatever polite is, if you, if you, in one of my educational texts, they talk about if you state clearly what the expectations are or you clarify them, you will be able to hold people to them more fairly. Whereas if you keep them kind of 
wishy-washy in your brain, very vague and unspecific, that's when bias, mm -hmm. that's when bias starts to impact your judgment. And that's when you start holding people to different standards based on their race or their gender or their sexuality or their gender appearance or what have you. Um, and that's why, you know, I think if you, if you want to make sure people are being polite, write down what you think polite behavior is and hold everyone to do that. Everyone to that, not just the girls. You know, boys have to learn how to be polite too. Yeah. All genders. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so much knowledge coming from you, Seth. Oh, thank you. I, I spend, I spend a lot of time reading a lot of good books and thinking about them. So what are you reading now? Um, I am actually, I'm reading, um, Actually, I'd, I actually, I'd rather tell you about the book I just finished. I just finished a book okay. called um, Thinking in Pictures. It's by this woman named Temple Grandin. She has designed one-third of the livestock handling facilities in the United States. She's remarkable. And she also has autism. And she grew up and she was semi-nonverbal. But she's written this book, and it's this incredible expose from inside the mind of someone with autism. And, you know, and, and then she talks about how she uses her autism to empathize with the animals in the, in the cattle processing facilities and how she, she has developed these incredible um, handling systems so that cattle can move through them at peace. It's very humane. And she's dedicated her life to doing this and also what? to advocating and talking about autism. She's amazing. Yeah, her name is Temple, like a temple in Grandin, G-R-A-N-D-I-N. And the book I read was I, Thinking in Pictures. It's amazing. I've heard her name before. Yeah. I did not know the connection to all of this. That's so cool. Right? And so she writes, um, and, and Oliver Sacks actually wrote the, the preface to this book, which is just good for her for getting Oliver Sacks. Um, <laughs> uh, talks, he talks about how this is kind of a letter from the far off distant land of autism that, that many people will not understand. And it was just this really great, um, so I just finished that book and now I'm wrestling with it. I'm, I'm, re I'm making some photocopies of some of the pages to reread again. But that was, oh my God, that, that, was, that was such a, a journey and a thing, joy to read. Wow, cool. I'm reading a book called Flagrant Conduct. Tell me about it. Uh, it's about Lawrence v. Texas, the um, Supreme Court case that overturned a law saying that sodomy laws basically turned overturned them and made it so that all people, um, regardless of sexual orientation, gender, marital status, etc., have the right to privacy in their bedrooms. Well, it, right to privacy, period, really. Yeah, that's that's one of the ones, isn't that's related to Roe v. Wade in terms, I think there's like three big privacy decisions. Oh, I'm sure. They're, they are so intelligently connected where people will base cases off of cases off of cases and really make it so that we have our sexual rights, which I think is so cool. So that's Lawrence v. Texas. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's called Flagrant Conduct. Wow, I, I've been wanting to read more about, um, I think Supreme Court cases are cool. I just listened to, um, <laughs> I just listened to the, um, there's a podcast series by the Washington Post called Constitutional, which looks at the amendments and how they came into power through the Supreme Court and stuff. And ever since I've listened to that, I've been wanting to read more books about, um, you know, big legal decisions like that in the United States. Because those sometimes have Whoa. way bigger impacts than like laws that are passed. Like laws that are passed can impact the country, but Supreme Court rulings can transform the country in a second. Oh, totally. 
Like huge. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm excited to hear more about your that podcast that you're talking about. Uh, if you want, the sex law book, I guess, is Sex and the Constitution. I haven't read it, but I acquired it and I am told that it is the go-to for yeah. I have to t- law. Speaking of books, the reason I first fell in love with explanations was your amazing bookshelf. <laughs> what? I was like, I used to, I used to, um, I used to pause the video and like zoom in and write down the names of uh, the books that were behind you on that bookshelf because I just wanted to read all the books that you've read. And I actually read, um, I think I've read, I can't remember them now, but I think I've read two books that I um, got the title off of your bookshelf from pausing the video and zooming in. Wow, that's funny to me for all sorts of reasons. (laughs) I was paying attention attention to the content, obviously, but, you know, I also just wanted to know what was on that shelf. Well, good. And then you did a whole video on it. It was great. Yeah, I mean, now I'm thinking, if you didn't live in Japan, I would box them up and send them to you. Oh, thank you. When are you not living in Japan? Oh, I don't know. And I, I, I didn't want to correct you at the beginning, but I'm not in Japan. I'm in Hong Kong. Oh! That's okay. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I just, I got here and um, I, I have a two-year work contract. I honestly really like my job. I might be here three or four years, so. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's pretty odd. You'll have to come visit. It'll be a treat. I'm, okay. sure, I'm sure you can fit it into your totally not busy schedule. <laughs> I mean, wh- why not? Yeah. It sounds marvelous. So cool. Um, okay, any other language things that we can add? I wa- I wanna, I wanna, I've always wanted to ask you this question. How do you feel about people calling the vulva collectively the vagina? Because like someone like me who had such little sex education, I didn't really understand the difference until... I think I watched your channel or maybe the year before that. Like, how do you feel about calling that whole thing the vagina? Because I watched this stand-up thing uh, where he was talking about calling the vulva a vagina is like calling the face a throat. (laughs) And I just thought that was brilliant. (laughs) It is brilliant. If we used throat more than we used face, it would make more sense. We don't, I mean... It's that's what it's been called for most people for their most of their lives. So for me to be upset about that would it would be ridiculous and unfair, and um, it would be part of sex shaming. And I'm not, I'm not for that. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm actually bothered by it that much at all. Um, we had a guest on this explanations podcast who does um, pubic hair waxing, and she used vagina instead of vulva for the whole episode and it didn't bother me a bit because I trust that the audience knows what her intentions are and the context which she's speaking is that she is an esthetician not a sex educator and um so yeah well in other episodes with people who appreciate the the difference between vagina and vulva I will say vulva but it doesn't bother me at all I do. I think that analogy is hilarious, though. Isn't it? I'll um. I'll send you the. It's um, accurate. I'll send you the clip. It was a guy on Conan. I think he was doing stand up. It was really funny. I laughed a lot. It's a good one. It's a great point because the vagina is an internal structure like the throat, and it's yeah. Oh, that's cute. Um, 
I think right now for me, what I'm struggling with is the verb watch or views or right. Like I'll say, um, Oh, the, the YouTube content creator is having a problem with the word views. Oh, the irony is so profound. But, But like, because there are lots of people who I imagine participate in the YouTube culture who don't see. And so when we use words like view, watch, viewers, etc., I feel like we're discounting part of our population. Mm. We're definitely counting them. They're they're collecting revenue or numbers or whatever, analytics, but they're I feel um maybe feeling excluded, I don't know. So that's one that I I try to work on is more inclusive verbs. Oh, okay. I didn't think of more inclusive verbs, but that's something to think about. Like I'll use experience or participate or what else have I used? Consume sometimes. Uh Does that make sense? Oh, yes. So you're you're almost trying to show a reverence for any way that people engage with a content instead of... Yeah. Oh, okay. I get that. That's good. That's good. Good on you for doing that. It's hard. Do you, well, yeah, especially when I was going to say, do you find that if you're talking, like, I don't know how much you talk to other actual people who are YouTubers in your daily life, but do you find that you, when you talk to them, you flip right back to talking about viewers or do you find that like you're, well, I guess the question is more generally, do you find that your vocabulary changes based on your talking to? And have you found that maybe using those words with some people feels unnatural because you're used to using them with, you know, other, if you bump into someone else who does, if you bump into Jesse, uh, who has that last name that's unpronounceable. That's in Katzenietta. Bless you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you find, like, have you noticed anything about like changing your language around them or that you revert back to your original language? Mm, that's a great question. I'm going to say 30% revert and 70% stick to itness. Okay. Because if I can use the less harmful language with everyday people and my day-to-day life, then I, I believe that it will take over, right? And that will become the way that I speak. So for example, even though it's more efficient for me to see, say disabled person, I will say person with a disability. It's a lot more syllables, but it's worth it to me. And I will do it no matter who I'm talking to. That makes me think about something. And I think about this all the time because I am someone who's very, I'm really trying to use the right words a lot. And what I find is, is that People within a community often can't agree on what the word is. And so I get told one thing and then I go with that. And then I get told another thing. And then I'm like, but I was just told that. And then they're like, yes. no, 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 it's this. And then I'm like, no, but it's not that. And I, and I was having this, um, I was having a conversation with someone where I referred, I, I talked about, um, I think I said black Americans and someone was like, it's African-American. And I was like, it's both. And I think both are fine. And then I said, I went on the NAACP website and checked both are fine. Because I wanted to make sure I was using the right word because I, I think we, I think anyone who's listening to this podcast knows how much words can hurt. So I'm trying to use the right word. And it's just like, like as someone who works a lot with people with autism and, and I think a lot about autism, there's some people who are like, oh no, I'm an autistic person. And other people who are like, no, I'm a person with autism. And then it's just like, I don't, 
I just need a break. I need you to just, just, I'm not using the wrong word. I'm not using the negative mean word. I'm just very confused because I keep getting told the other thing and then I switch to the other word and then someone else tells me the other things. And that's like, that is so frustrating and so confusing. And then I also kind of want to say to those people, well, you don't get to speak for an entire community. And you know, you're saying that that's the word you'd like me to use, but I just had 10 other people tell me that this was the word to use. Like what, it's very overwhelming. And I'm trying, but sometimes it's it's ridiculous. You just get slapped with the other one 10 seconds later, and it's very confusing. Yes, I hear you, and I I appreciate your efforts. That's that's all that's all like, I can do. That's it, right? Like yeah. with the um, how we r- racialize groups. Um, I'm going to use that as an example, and then I'll switch over to a sex one. There are people who are black, and so treated with. Uh, that the discrimination that comes with that who are not African-American. And there are people who are African-American who are not black and so don't have that discrimination. And there are people who are African and are black and are not American but are in America. So it's like, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but more language, more language, right? Like, Put more words to it. You you don't know if your partner thinks that what you're doing is sex or not sex because like society may limit it to penis and vagina. Like use more words. <laughs> like, call it anal sex where I am the the top, or uh, penetrative oral sex where I am the the penis. Or like just put more words to it. I, and and also hopefully we can come up with a word. That is a way of saying, I need a break. Like, neither of us have figured this out. And so just get off my back so that we can have a conversation, whatever that word is. Maybe that word is Seth. Seth with a C? <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, S-C. S-C-E-T-H. I'll take it. Five-letter uh, oh, okay. word. Yeah. Yeah. S-C-E-T-H means... Uh, I need a break. None of us have this. Yes. Give me a break. Yeah. Okay. In the sex example, I would go with words like biosex, assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth, uh, the person's sex, the gender. All of those are kind of mushy in the same way that African-American can be because they all mean very different things and there is space for all of them. So I did a video with Ash Hardell about switching from biosex to AFAB and AMAB, but it leaves out intersex. And it also is more focused on the assignment and not on the person's biology. Yes. Yeah. So, oh boy, it's a, it's messy. I think, and again, I'm a, I'm a very privileged person. I'm a middle-class white guy, so I have not faced that much discrimination. And so I guess from where I sit, which is a very different chair from where most people sit, I really try to just make sure that my tone and my intention is right. Mm. And that if I'm close enough for now, I'm okay. And then someone will be like, you should read this. And they send me a bustle article and I read the, or like the HuffPo article about word choice. And then I'll try and do better next time. But like, 
I talk the way I talk because of how I was brought up. And it takes a lot of work to change the way, because we're all brought up, to, we're all brought up in messed up ways. Everyone is in some capacity. There are things about how we're brought up that is wrong or messed up or different or harmful or negative. And you know, I'm just trying to figure it out. And so I don't mind when people um, correct me or give me more information. No, let me rephrase that. I do mind when people correct me. I hate being corrected. Oh my God, stop. But <laughs> I would say I don't mind being given more information. Mm. And if you would like to give me more information, then that's great. And let's go from there. But I would also like you to recognize that I'm really trying here. I'm trying so hard to not be... I'm trying so hard to spend my privilege and to not be uh, a presumptive, ignorant person. And if, if the tone with which you speak to me is one that negates or belittles me, I'm going to feel less inclined to make a conscious effort in the future. And I don't want to do that. I want to make a conscious effort in the future. Yeah. I like that distinction between being corrected and being informed. Like, because informed to me is an invitation. Yes. To do it differently or to be part of the dialogue, to understand one another and being corrected. Well, I, I don't mind it, maybe. Um, it can be really criticizing and put a stop to the dialogue. Yes. Because it, it just, it tunes you out. It turns off, it turns, what's the, it turns off your vulnerability. It turns off your openness to the conversation. If someone mm -hmm. just goes, eh, and it's like, oh, no, please. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. I'm a horrible person and I'll never speak again, which is how it can feel sometimes if you've, if you've been corrected. Mm, I don't want you to do that. I, I would like you to keep speaking. Oh, I, thank you. I think your mind is marvelous and it has a lot to share with the world. Well, I, I am certainly in debt to your YouTube channel for that. Um, mm. I... I knew so little about the world and had so much shame about my gender identity and my, my gender expression and my sexuality um, until, and it's not like I, I, it's not like I watched one video and suddenly my eyes were opened, but like I would watch a video and then spend the next week and a half thinking about it. And then by the end of that, I would just feel just a little bit less crappy than I did before, which was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, I, I would just like to say um, my, my favorite YouTube video you, you, you've done is the Volvo one because no one, I was 20 something when that came out and no one had ever explained any of that to me. The original one about the... Yes, where you put the hood on your head and everything. Yeah. Like the, like the fourth episode or the third episode. That one was still the most mind-blowingly informative one I'd ever seen. Because when you go to Catholic school your whole life, that stuff doesn't come up. Hmm. So that one, mind-blowing. Hmm. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. Really? Yeah. No, that you're, there's, knowledge is quite literally power. And I was very powerless in terms of um, matters of sex and sexuality. And then it was your channel, which then led to other people's channels, like, um, oh, who's that lovely um, British woman with blonde hair? Oh, goodness. Hannah Witten. Hannah Witten. Um, yeah. And actually, um, Sexplanations is how I ended up being a um, uh, uh, sort of Green Brothers consumer. 
It's the reason I'm watching eons and animal what? wonders. I found explanations first and then went in through there. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. I love when that happens, actually, because often it's the other way around with the nerd fighters will come to sex when nerd fighters, nerd fighters will come to sexplanations. And so it's cool. You're, you're like, yeah, no, team sexplanations. Yeah, I went the other way in on that one. Oh, that's so fun. Uh, so, Seth, a couple more things before we go. Do you want to do kegels? Names, Yes. <laughs> I love your face on that. Yes. Yes. Are of we course. doing are we doing like a long hold or multiple reps? What are we doing? You can choose. Um let's do do you wanna do like a... yeah, let's do a long hold. Do you want to um to keep time? Do you have a a machine in your music room? What are those called? Metronomes? A metronome. I Oh, you know what? No, when I moved here, I left my metronome at home because I didn't have room for it in the suitcase. I have this really nice maroon one that actually has the metal clicky thing that flips back and forth. Uh It's like a, and you wind it up, no batteries. It's like a proper old fashioned one with this, um, it's like Bakelite maroon case. Oh, it was so great. Oh my God. I wish I had that. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do you want, I can just, um, cause my voice recorder is keeping time so I could just watch it on here. Okay. You want to do it? 15 second Kegel? Yeah. You ready? That sounds wonderful. Okay. Oh, let me get to a time I can count from. Three, two, one, go. Three, two, one. Oh, okay. I don't do that enough. I liked watching your face on that. Thank you. What, yeah. the, the grimace of pain? <laughs> it's, the, it's the pooping face. It, well, it's it, such those, a good one. Isn't it all the same muscles? Aren't all of those yeah, muscles? Yeah, they're connected. Oh, actually, now that I'm like doing the pooping motion, it, yeah, then I get more of a grimace. But for me, I put it toward the front of my pelvis, so it's more vaginal, and it feels more, like, erotic than it does if I, like, tense my asshole. But, okay, good. Now we know. For next time. Uh, extra credit for our audience. A little homework so you don't forget it. Here's Dr. Dose's extra credit. You can give them an assignment that they do, we all do, until oh. the next time. Oh, goodness. Um... Uh, uh, well, we're talking about less harmful language. Um, so I guess an assignment, oh my goodness. I guess I would say, find a word that you say that rubs you the wrong way and come up with five other options that you can use instead. Because I think if you come up with one other option, you might forget it. But if you come up with five, you'll have more things in your tool belt. So Great. how's that? Find something, a word that rubs you, the, or a phrase, or even a sequence of words that rubs you mm-hmm. the wrong way. I think a really quickly, a really great example is I watched this video about how we often talk about one in six women are raped in the United mm-hmm. States, which removes anyone from, no one is actually raping them. They are being raped by, by what? And so mm-hmm. what he talked about was instead is we need to talk about how many people commit sexual assault, not just how many people are victims of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, and then I was like, oh, and so now I'm trying to find different ways to say that. So, yeah. Do we know how many? 
No, that's the that's the hard thing. How can you know that? Because no one's you don't have report statistics on people reporting themselves for committing. Exactly, because in in the videos where I've talked about that, I've tried to do that, not knowing at all about the this language component of it, but wanting to be like, God, can't we just say that's another word, the God word that I I'll add to my list. But um, the can we just say who is raped, like put the emphasis on the person committing the crime, but we don't have that data. And so technically it's possible that one person is doing all that raping. Yes. Not, yeah. not probable. Well, not all the rape. Not probable. <laughs> but, yeah. But if you look at six, six women or six people or six whomever, one person could certainly be the rapist of, yes. of that. That's why the, there's such a big push for that rape kit backlog is because they do that and suddenly they're like, oh crap, these five people were raped by the same person and we can arrest them now. That's why you see yeah. like the, um, uh, the organization is called the Joyful Heart Foundation and it's pushing legislation to get the rape kit backlog fixed. So if that's something wow. your listeners are interested in, it's run by Mariska Hargitay who played Olivia Benson on Law & Order SVU. I adore Mariska Hargitay. Joyful mm. Heart Foundation, really good. Another great name, too. Mariska Hargitay, right? Yeah. Amazing. I'll put, I'll, we'll put, put that, drop that in your next video and see how many people notice that. Mariska. <laughs> Mariska. Okay. I, I will try very hard. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast. This was... I am this from is, Hong Kong. <laughs> this is one of the most joyful experiences. I've been talking to my friends about this for weeks. I've been like, oh my God, you don't get it. I'm going to be on the Sexplanations podcast. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, hold on, sit down for two hours and let me show you every video. <laughs> oh, Seth, that's so wonderful. I'm so glad that you're on this too, because I, there is no one that I wanted to talk to more about this topic than you, because it was one of very few times where I put something out into the universe and it's like equal came back. Like, it's so good. Yeah, at Thank least you. in this platform. I just, yeah. your, your videos are so fantastic. I wanted to help in the way that I could. Well, you did. And this is, and this is like, this is, this was on my bucket list was be on a podcast. So this is exciting. Check. Done. Done. I'm so excited. Done. Fantastic. Awesome. Now next, now I'm, Call 99% Invisible and tell them they've got a new host. I'm coming for them now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're so fun to have as a, a host. And a, a, yeah. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been delightful. And in, enjoy the rest of your evening in Montana. Yeah. You enjoy the, the start of your day or go back to sleep. I, I'm, I'm not sure yet. Sleep does sound good, though. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks also to Callie and Cinema Studios and Complexly and Count Boogie and Cora and Parle. I'm still learning. <laughs>